Hi, I'm Adam Murray. Subtle Disruptors is about pondering two questions. What does it mean to live well in this moment, given the context within which we find ourselves? And how can we shape the world we live in so that it becomes closer to the one we want to inhabit? I do this by talking with people who you probably haven't heard of, but who I think are embodying a fascinating response to these two questions and doing it in a way that involves subtle changes all of us can make. I want you and I to get as much as possible out of these stories and to feel encouraged, connected and resolute in our own quests of subtle disruption. I've met some incredible people who have not founded the companies that they work for and just love being in. So why would you ever pay them less credence to how they sort of operate their day-to-day lives or the thoughts that emanating from them when they're more than likely advising the actual founders and the people on how to proceed and innovate and, and grow and change the game. So entrepreneurial thinking is definitely what I relate to much more because I have it and most people have it. So those are sort of lessons I've learned. Hi there. Today I'm talking with Gary Williams. I met Gary when he was working at General Assembly and I was working at Code for Australia and we did a bit of a few activities together. He was transitioning out of corporate work. I was getting back into work after a gap year. And something that's pretty amazing about Gary is that this he has this natural, easy way of meeting people and connecting people and putting them at ease. And uh, yeah, I'm grateful for many of the people that he's put me in contact with. Since GA, he's had a number of roles and he's started a few different ventures, which he talks about in the interview. And one of the things I'm fascinated with Gary is to see what emerges in his current role, which he talks a bit about, and what he can help emerge and create and nurture in the Melbourne startup and innovation community. I'm Adam Murray, and thanks for listening to Gary Williams as we talk about the subtle disruption of trying failing and learning. All right, Gary. Good to be chatting with you, man. Adam, thanks for having me. Yeah. <laughs> where, where are we sitting today and why are we here? We're in Carlton in Lincoln Square Park. It's right near, yeah, my new role is uh, basically as, as I've just joined the team with University of Melbourne, but this particular park is yeah, very beautiful and sits right outside the somewhat temporary office I'm in at the moment. Yeah. I mean, I've only been in the role for around about three or so weeks now, but as I was saying to you before, I'm finding out some really interesting sort of rich history of uh, this particular park, such as you know, it's been dropped that it was like the Commonwealth's first park and had the first playground in existence however long ago and huge amount of flora and fauna, like different species within this uh, particular park. So I don't know why that's really relevant, but I just really like this part. And I really haven't spent enough time around Carlton area as in like planting my feet in here rather than passing through. Yeah. So I've, I've been enjoying that the last yeah. sort of month or so. Yeah. It's cool. And I'm a massive fan of Melbourne in general, you know, so I really enjoy falling in love with, uh, you know, new areas and yeah. new parts of the city constantly. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually the first time I've sat in this park as well. I've walked past it a few times, but it's really peaceful. Full of people, heaps of uni students, some learning how to use their surveying equipment for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot going on. Yeah, it's really close to the uni. If anyone who's listening hadn't been here, we're probably just a few streets away from the Melbourne Museum. And by the same token, sort of close to Grattan Street, which is closed down now for four years of metro train station works or whatever. So. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be good for someone else who's working around here at that point in time. Yeah. Yeah, for someone else. Yeah. So interesting times, just uh, landing in this role and yeah. here we are, but 
do love this area. So tell us about the role and what you're doing. Yeah, I've, um, it's been funny. I've had a couple of changes of late, but yeah, I'm doing this new role with Melbourne University. It's a bit three-pronged, but I'll try not to dither on about it for too long. But essentially, the role is creative producer of innovation. So what it's concerned with is I work with a team that are delivering basically a building, which is an innovation precinct. So that's going to be located in the old Royal Women's Hospital side, which yeah. is on the corner of Grattan and Swanson Street. So easiest way to describe this building is that it will be the home of startup and tech, whatever you want to call it, home of innovation in Australia, but essentially the home of um, STEAM. So science, technology, engineering, arts and maths. Yeah. And the purpose of the building is essentially to place a larger focus on the combination or the collision between industry and the community and then the research and academic sort of realm. So I'm really excited about it. It's a blank slate sort of role, but yeah, figuring it out. And it's I probably come in more from the industry perspective to find out the stories that sort of make sense and try to make some magic happen for this building, which is still a couple of years away, but with a considerate sort of plan in place and working towards something, something amazing can be there from day one. So that's one facet, which is the building. The second facet is that housed within this building, which will have open public realm, makerspace, a massive open area called a super floor, which will have 400-person event space, 200-person event space, you name it. Co-working, all manner of partners sitting in there and industry and lots of researchers and academics and everything. But what I love, which is the team I work with, is a science gallery for Melbourne. So that's going to be based down the bottom. So that's going to be a, like a gallery space mixed with very, I guess, provocative but also educational, scientific realm. So I work with that team currently. They're going to have a place in there. And the science gallery is part of an international group. So we'll be one of eight nodes worldwide. So they're projecting, you know, a quarter of a million um, visitors per year. It's cool. A lot of people passing through. But yeah. it's while some of the themes or the installations or activations within the space might be relatively high concept in some ways, it's actually aimed towards very specifically a 15 to 25-year-old market. But mm. we want anyone older than that to still be curious and wanting to come along. Yeah. But I think it's just fucking great. <laughs> yeah. I'm really excited. So they had, they did a, while we're gearing up to a new a home in 2020, they've been activating exhibitions. So one was run last year called Blood. So again, that was relatively provocative in some ways. There were installations dealing with horse blood transfusions with humans. I believe there was HIV positive blood, which was solidified and people yeah, right. could handle. Yeah. And so that stirs a reaction in people immediately and numerous other um, curated pieces as part of that yeah, exhibition. Wow. And the one upcoming is called Perfection. So that'll be announced pretty soon. And that by the same token will have some incredible, incredible stuff. There's one particular activation as part of it. I can't really say exactly what it is, but sure. it'll be announced soon, but it will definitely be dealing with data, facial recognition, yeah. but also this underlying perfection sort of context. Yeah. So yeah, it's really cool. So yeah. that's why I sort of, you know, light up about it because <laughs> I get really excited by the stuff they talk about. Yeah. And the team that are in there are incredible as well. They're 
very vast and different backgrounds. Some are from your museum gallery type background, mm. some academic. So, you know, PhDs in you know, multimedia and I mean, our creative director for the exhibitions has a, I think a degree in taxidermy. Or, so I'm, I'm mixing with some really, really interesting people. Yeah. And then what, what I'm sort of bringing in is, I think a connection to the industry in terms of who's doing what within startup and tech realm. Yeah. But as I've started to chat to people and tell them about what environment I'm working in, talking about science and these types of things, they're sort of eyes light up and they um, yeah develop a, a pretty quick curiosity about you know what all that means and what does that mean for Melbourne and how does it all work yeah so yeah definitely digging that part and the third part which I've waffled on a little bit but the science gallery will be housed in this building and then that building is part of a large strategy called Melbourne Innovation Districts so that's a partnership between University of Melbourne RMIT and the city of Melbourne. So what's essentially happening at the moment is I will act as a lead or a point person for University of Melbourne to basically activate initiatives that are sort of either co-branded together or co-authored for want of a better term or activated independently but all under this one banner. The purpose of it is to, again, take away some of that disparity throughout, you know, this incredible city and try to make it a bit more consolidated in, in sort of our approach to yeah, just drive greater outcomes and allow people to, you know, now and then particularly like future as in tomorrow, basically just drive their innovative projects, businesses, whatever. So the innovation districts takes in a large amount of area. We're talking about Melbourne University, biomedical precincts. We're talking about RMIT, the CBD talking about Queen Victoria Market mm. and then an entire engineering precinct out in Fisherman's Bend. Yeah. So it's a, it's a very big area, but we'll connect certain parts of that through things like placemaking, smart technology, urban realm. These are the types of concepts that are coming up and we're using, I guess, some great case studies from cities like Boston, Barcelona, London, Toronto and these types of cities to, yeah, establish a framework and a direction for how we're going to drive sort of Melbourne forward based on all the numerous workshops that have happened and partnership discussions that have been had and visitors are wanting to come here and invest and help Melbourne grow. Yeah. So I've got to apologise. I've just been speaking nonstop for like five or ten minutes, but obviously I'm still excited about the role. Sounds freaking amazing. It's a very... That's a lot of words to explain sort of how it is. I'd like to simplify that a lot more, but it's also highly interesting stuff. And some people will be particularly focused on the science gallery element. It just Mm. brings about a childlike curiosity in them. But others, they love that thought of Melbourne being, staking a claim as a global innovation leader and location. For others, they're like, oh, I I love the thought of finding out about research that's being done at Melbourne, and maybe that would attract greater funding or greater exposure with the industry. So these, as you would know, people who are like VCs and funding, you know, your startups and all that, maybe these VCs and people funding and donating would love to know a little bit more about uh, the research happening within Melbourne University and other universities around town. Yeah. So yeah, it's really, really cool stuff. Yeah. So... Yeah. It's a super expansive role as well. It, is, it sounds yeah. like, yeah. Maybe uh, 
The question I want to bookmark is just asking you about what you see emerging in Melbourne and what's what's happening here compared and what's happening in some of those other cities that you mentioned too. But maybe uh, it'd be good to fill in the gaps a little bit for me and for the listeners too. So yeah. we first met when you were working at General Assembly. Yep. Yep. And I was working at Code for Australia and uh, we worked together on a couple of events, but you were mm. out there getting together the tech community, I guess, in many ways yeah. and drawing people together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What I will say is that I'm probably best known as a, um, a corporate refugee or something like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was working in a, um, yeah, a corporate environment in e-commerce and digital marketing and a number of other different roles throughout there for the good guys. So I was there for around about seven years and just towards the end I just basically I was just unfulfilled I didn't really feel like I still even knew what I was doing where I was going how it was all going to come together I was very curious about technology startups wanting to get involved but I just didn't feel like I was involved at all I think the trigger for me was definitely that I um, felt to progress to that next level senior leadership, management, whatever, within the corporate realm that I need to go back and get educated. What I ended up doing was falling in love with education and then through a bit of circumstance with the actual masters, I didn't quite get enough out of it in terms of the things I was really interested in, which was user experience and product management, these types of fields. So as a result, I was coupling doing the masters and working, but then also starting to dip my toes into attending a lot of meetups and events just on my own. And where that led me to was essentially going to a lot of Startup Victoria, Inspire 9 and General Assembly events and ending up at those. I I was having a great time. I went into a few places like your um, Envados who were hosting a meetup and yeah, I just felt really welcomed and really enjoyed the experience and felt like a bit of an imposter sort of being there because I didn't really know how they were going to like qualify why I would sort of be there but everyone was just really happy just to chat and get to know people get to know me on a personal level which I really enjoyed so it broke down that illusion for me and I was like I can just go and just sort of be myself and get curious in these types of environments and then pretty much I was writing up my last piece for the masters where I'd sort of gotten to the end of it and then decided I don't want to work in corporate anymore I (laughs) want to go full-fledged into this exciting tech startup and also like veering on like well, maybe something in social enterprise or education or whatever it was. I was getting really curious about a lot of concepts. And then, so I got to the end of the masters pretty much had decided I wasn't doing that, put in an application for general assembly as I was doing my last piece and then ended up with that job. And then launched into that, I was probably there for around a year and a half to two years, but I had just, an absolute ball. It gave me great license to get around and just get to know pretty much everyone throughout Melbourne's startup and tech scene, which was great. The focus of it was pretty much to run events and build partnerships, industry connections for General Assembly and General Assembly ran some great courses and classes and workshops. So it was always sort of to bring exposure and uh, engagement for GA out to the wider audience. Yeah. I had a real just more sort of like a hunch than anything but my main thing that I always stuck to was that I really wanted to make GA the name for digital technology education in Melbourne and so by doing that I would take it beyond the four walls of GA and try to push the boundaries in terms of types of events to run where to run them and make it a part of larger 
Melbourne, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I didn't feel I could be part of the larger conversation if I only stuck to one specific location. Yeah. So it was great. Had like great support from the team there. Went and ran events in Collingwood at All Press above a coffee roastery, you know. As you would know because you spoke on it, you know, in the comedy theatre as part of Melbourne International Film Festival. Like, yeah. what? Yeah. <laughs> like, these, these little opportunities just would pop up and, and they were great challenges, to be honest. So, yeah, I had an absolute ball. And towards the end, I felt the need to challenge myself a little bit more to verge into more of a management space. I was definitely in sort of transition. So, I ventured out from there into a general manager role at Inspire9. Yeah. So, I was doing that and I was predominantly focused on managing the Dream Factory location in Footscray. So ended up there in that role. Ultimately, it wasn't for me. I Co-working as amazing as it seems from a, a community perspective and the relationships you can build within there, for the actual people running it is not so glamorous because you, you're a relationships advisor and you're putting out spot fires and you need to deal with things immediately. And so I didn't need the glamour of a job just for me, particularly with family and how my life was working. I got a fair while in and I think I just realised I missed education. I miss like the education landscape or yeah. the capacity to find some really challenging concepts or events or partnerships that can drive sort of a, a greater thing. And honestly, it was just yeah, somewhat serendipitous that this role came up for the Melbourne University role. Yeah, it was a swift transition into it, really, and it was quite a change, yeah. quite a market change. So, anyway, that's my, um, you know, Mark Mumrose, this is your life type thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know what you're talking about, co-working spaces. I ran one in Sydney for quite a while. Absolutely. It was so many good things about it. But, yeah, it's, you know, there's a, there's a lot of high-pressure things, like people's businesses depend on that co-working space running well. Things like the internet goes down or... Back when I was running it, the phones were still very important as well. I and mean, when those yeah. things crashed, then, yeah, there was a lot of pressure. And it would have been one of Sydney's first or initial sort of co-working spaces, wouldn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. It was probably more, it called itself a serviced office, but I think it was more like a co-working space than a yeah. serviced office. It was, it had all those kind of community elements to it and yeah. shared resources and, and those kind of things. It was not... From when I think of service officers, they seem quite snuffy, stifling, and a bit, yeah, a bit more serious, I suppose. Petition walls, petition walls, yeah, yeah that's right. um, lack of character, yeah. And all that. Doesn't matter how many bloody um, table tennis tables or whatever you put in there. <laughs> <Yeah>. you know? <laughs> service officers, still a service officer, I guess. Yeah, but there's a few other things that you've been involved with as well during that whole time. Yeah, you know what? It's funny. I mean, just briefly acknowledging it. So yeah, it'll probably loop into yourself as well. I've had some things, I guess, validated for me over the time. I mean, you know, same as knowing that from an external point of view, co-working was like, yep, suits me. And in particular, love that community vibe and that. I have no sort of bad feeling or, or have left with any sour taste in my mouth from that experience. Yeah. But it just simply wasn't for me in terms of running co-working. I just had other things I wanted to do. But my impression of how co-working runs and how to cultivate a community has completely changed because I've seen it yeah. from the other side and realised that it's incredibly taxing on the people who operate. And then verging into what you were just asking me about, I think that 
it's quite funny because I've been heavily involved in this startup, you know, like just started. And certain things like this philosophy of hustle and grinding it out and killing it and smashing it and all this stuff, I've become very allergic to it over time because I got to know a lot of people who were doing things out of love or they're purpose-driven for that pursuit and not just for the fact that they're, you know, commercially driven to just produce and over and over or scale or whatever, whatever that means. Yeah. So the segue with that is that I've been much more focused, I guess, on advocating for people starting to deliver on projects. So projects that you know, inspire them and their curiosity and their interest and get them, just get them excited. But it doesn't necessarily need even to establish a domain sometimes. You can literally just start a meetup group and, mm. and just provide a test case and just sort of see how you go from there. But I've started to really admire a few people around town who have just launched into it, you know, just start their little projects and whether that be a, some sort of interesting social media sort of activation whether they start blog writing on a particular topic with their special, which I love, which is running events that are like quite well thought out and elaborate. I love that. I just love seeing people start to deliver projects. And as a result of that, like I, I don't think the be all and end all is just simply to just start a startup and raise and mm. scale and all that stuff. Like why can't people just sometimes be happy with just doing something which fulfills an additional need? And if they truly want to explore that as a business opportunity, then I'm sure they'll follow that. If you're loving your project, then you might find a way to commercialize that and make that your life. So again, waffling on, but basically I've been sort of testing some projects. I've got sort of more to come. I don't want to paralyze myself with the need to run things constantly and fill every inch of my private time because I got too much respect for my family and it'd just be just rude really (laughs) but what I've been doing for around two years with an amazing guy around Melbourne named Josh Lipscomb is running fuck up nights in Melbourne and also sporadically running them in Sydney so it's been incredible and I literally just ran one last night which was really cool and so that was with uh, Andre Eekmeyer who's the co-founder and joint CEO of Vinomofo so they're just celebrating their seventh birthday literally today and it's great cause for celebration yeah a nice bit of serendipity again was that andre and justin were both on the list when we first wrote up all right we're running an event called fuck up nights we're going to get people talking about some of their failures who do we want (laughs) you know and then when i tell people that they were on the list initially it's like thank you so much for thinking of me as a fucking failure but yeah so Fuck up nights. Yeah, been running it for getting close to two years now and it's very amusing that that's been the case slash that it's still still going. <laughs> is, so is, is, this, is fuck up nights something that you thought of or is it... No. Is, there, no, is it's, it a worldwide movement or what is it? It is. So it's present all around the world. I think something like 240 cities worldwide basically originated in Mexico with a group of friends who got together and they were drunk and... And then just started talking about how I think they were disillusioned with stories, business events, motivational talks, whatever. Yeah. And so they, yeah, look, I think they were just drunk and they just said, you know, it'd be awesome to hear how people sort of fuck up. And then what they've started doing is running it. And then what I think happened is that they had so much fun, they kept running it. And then transient people who were flowing through uh, wherever that was in Mexico have sort of returned to Australia or Amsterdam or wherever else they've come from 
in their travels and then I've probably contacted the group and said, hey, I'd love to run one of these. It was, you know, so awesome. Like I positive that's how it went. Yeah. And so as a result, it started to build momentum worldwide and people have been running it in all different capacities. So I'd be interested to hear what you think. There's probably a couple of people around town, namely Josh and another person I've worked with named Emma. We just sort of like click and we just get it. Whatever we're sort of talking about, if it's in terms of like what events to run or how we're going to do this, we just both get it. Yeah. And so with Josh, I went and saw him when he was working at Inspire9, started talking to him about how I wanted to do something that was sort of my own. Didn't quite know what it was, but I wanted something that might be a little controversial and boundary pushing and just sort of to break people out of a little bit of their comfort zone. Because whilst I was delivering a lot of events, I wanted to sort of to make it a little bit more human and bring in some like a little bit of high concept thinking to get people really invested rather than just how do I write a business plan? Yeah. <laughs> so the funny part was that when I said this to Josh, as I said, there's this event called Fuck Up Nights, he said the same thing to me. So it had been on his radar as well, and we said it to each other at the same moment. It was sort of a sweet moment, yeah. I guess. And then it took probably about two to three months of courage before we sort of launched into it. Yeah. And then we launched it, and then it, we did really well for the first couple. And then it just sort of continued on. It was doing its thing, and then all of a sudden it just, just exploded. And a lot of it was due to word of mouth, a regular cadence of running these events. We were running them month after month. Yeah. So we were sort of in people's face. We didn't go crazy on social media, but we would definitely launch and then just be like relentless about letting people know. We had great help from great partners promoting it out as well. We're in an extremely fortunate position now where we just launch it and it just gets very close to selling out, which is great because it's a side project for us. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. And it's not tied to any commercial gain. These are free. Yeah. At the end, we don't funnel them into some failure sort of workshop or anything like that. Josh and I do this purely for activation sense to gather somewhat disparate communities in the creative industry, tech industry, social enterprise, not-for-profit space, yeah. curious students. So mash all these people together who just want to hear like good storytelling. And on that point as well, I'd say we feel some elements, I guess, of it's of tall poppy syndrome, like creeping in, which is fine because we're obviously running an event which addresses failure and there's a whole rhetoric out there of people who are like, you know, failing's fucking awesome. Like, just fail and, and you'll be the leader that you need to be. Here's 10 steps why, <laughs> you know? Classic clickbait sort of <laughs> yeah. article. But we don't subscribe to that at all. We don't want to revel in people's stories of failure because some of the stories are, are quite dark and emotional and sort of people are talked about loss and death and obviously mental health, depression, all these quite quite difficult and confronting subjects. Yeah. And so because of that, I'd feel unethical with uh, saying that we're celebrating a failing when in reality it's, it's harmful to people's psyche and ego and can be damaging lifelong. But if it's an acknowledgement of the wisdom and resilience people gain from these experiences, if it sets them on a new path towards a career that is ultimately one that they're now fulfilled with, if it connects them deeper with their family or they find out some of them, something about themselves as a father or a mother or a sibling or whatever. Yeah. Those are the stories that start coming out. 
So when I brief speakers to let them know, I say, this is what we're focused on, not how much money you lost or whatever. You just share whatever you want to share and go for it. So it's pretty casual. Yeah. So that's the long and short of how it's yeah. sort of running. We've been doing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can see it's such an impressive thing as well because I guess those stories aren't easy to tell and they're not easy to find out about as well. And it's like I always think about AFL and how, you know, we hear about the superstars and the 300 gamers and the 200 gamers and the people that have amazing careers, but that's such a small percentage of the players get to that point that ever get into the system. You know, it's like, I don't know what the percentages are, but let's say it's above 50% that play less than maybe 20 games and they're out of the system in sort of three years. And we don't hear about those stories. And it's similar with business. It's easy to be drawn towards the headlines and the amazing successes, but there's so many other real-life stories in amongst that mix if we don't hear them, we get a very distorted view of what reality is actually like. Yeah. So to provide an opportunity, I guess, for people to be really open and vulnerable in that way to talk about the reality of yeah. the not-so-glamorous side of things yeah. and how what they've got out of it, I think is um, such a valuable thing for a society. Some of the speakers who have spoken, though, have said it's one of the best talks they've done, which we're really humbled by. It's, nah, it's awesome. Because we've just given them sort of a platform to do it. You know, it's it's definitely a humble approach. I mean, like, we really enjoy running it. We've gathered a bit of a profile from doing so, myself and Josh. I mean, unashamedly writing fuck on LinkedIn, just sort of, you know, just to push it, like, a little <laughs> bit. But we're 100% on the same page where we know the event is nothing without the speakers and the people that have been involved in it. And looping back on that element of how I've sort of broken down assumptions from the past yeah when this was started we thought it'd be humorous and funny and very light-hearted and comical and we would poke fun at failure etc and i think we've just learned and, and matured as the as the event has gone on and understood and lived with these stories that have been told and developed a greater conscious and respect for it i think myself and sorry i can't speak for josh because we've never really properly spoken about it but you know I've had my own issues with depression earlier in my life and all that as well due to certain circumstances so I think that it gives me time for pause and reflection as well and not that these stories are my sort of therapy or anything like that but it just fills me with huge admiration to get people sharing some quite personal things and then as a result of that we don't film it. So if you want to hear the stories, come along because I'm not filming it for you and <laughs> yeah. making you a, uh, a very a passive observer into people's sharing like highly emotional and deep yeah. moments. Yeah. But whilst we've changed our mindset on it, we still have a bunch of fun. And yeah. we, we want it to be a mixture of upbeat and mixed with little confronting, mixed with deep human sort of stories. <laughs> Yeah. But we have a no dickheads policy in the event, so we just sort of keep it that way. <laughs> yeah. Can you talk about, maybe you can't talk about it, but can you talk about something specific or in aggregate that you've learned from people speaking at those events that you've applied to your own life that's changed something in the way you live or your approach? Yeah, I, I've definitely gained an appreciation for trying to live or have a career or life that is definitely a bit more 
purposeful or purpose-driven. Again, I'm going back to some of those themes when I mean, we're talking about hustle and grind and all that. Sometimes the notion of purpose can be sort of brought up in what I feel is, because purpose is a relatively earnest term, but some people have an incredible purpose to their business. You know, many B Corps would sort of fall into that realm. You deal with essentially the topic in pretty much every one of your interviews in some way. Yeah. But it's, it's given me a lot of food for thought in how people run their businesses or their projects or how they progress in life from dealing with such experiences. So that's been a really nice awakening for me because, you know, I got into, say, the General Assembly job. I just wanted to be involved in startup and tech, draw on my, a lot of my skills, which are probably memory and background in being in band and organizing gigs and having a good knowledge of the land without being involved yet. So I sort of, without knowing too much of how I was going to do it, I just, oh, just busy bee, just get involved. Yeah. Now I have a role where I feel like I've been given the opportunity to do the thing that I really want to do, which is aggregate a lot of people within Melbourne, draw interest from externally, but deliver something that's an incredible legacy for Melbourne in terms of what that innovation districts program will be what that building will be how people get inspired by a science gallery yeah the other one which i just thought of when i was saying a little less drawn out is it's a notion of being an entrepreneur right i'm not allergic to that term i do like entrepreneur but i don't brand myself as an entrepreneur in any way shape or form but i've really developed more of a love for entrepreneurial thinking so I've met some incredible people who have not founded the companies that they work for and just love being in. So why would you ever pay them less credence to how they sort of operate their day-to-day lives or the thoughts that emanating from them when they're more than likely advising the actual founders and the people on how to proceed and innovate and, and grow and change the game. Yeah. So entrepreneurial thinking is definitely what I relate to much more because I have it and most people have it. So those are sort of lessons I've learned. It's like... Focus on your project. Not everything has to be about completing the 100-point checklist for starting a startup Yeah. or entrepreneurial thinking and definitely being a lot more purposeful in uh, parlaying your passion into a business, I guess. Yeah. And they're not my three lessons. They're just things that I've definitely observed over time. Yeah, that's great. But it's the fuck-up nights and then I've been doing other things dealing with subcultures because it's interesting. <laughs> and then I reckon sort of one of my next plays, which will just be for fun, on the side, largely content-driven, will be pop culture. So I'm going to do some really interesting pop culture stuff. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> why not? Yeah, yeah. why not? Yeah. yeah, just, I guess, drawing a few things together that you were talking about, but entrepreneurial thinking and following projects and aversion to over-hustling, if you like. Mm. But there, there's some of the things that I've been thinking about a little bit too. It's interesting yeah. that there's an entrepreneurial thinking type school that's popped up in Williamstown. Do you know that school? It's called Luminara. Luminara? Yeah. Which yeah, is, I'll have a look. Yeah, have it's a look. Yeah. great. Yeah, I don't know how big it is or I don't know much about it other than what I've read on their website, but it looks quite fascinating. Yeah, and something that I'm starting to get curious about and I guess is an emerging project for me is thinking about how beautiful an organisation can be, so how well yeah. it can be run so that the people that work there, they're actually more well for being there than if they're not there. Yeah. And that it's the way the office, the physical space is beautiful and the way it's designed creates community, creates 
collisions, if you like. And the work, the processes is beautiful and the thing that the organisation actually produces is a beautiful, helpful thing. So yeah, there I have an aversion to the real, I guess, hyper-masculine approach to startup. Yeah, of course. Which is that of course. real, I just grind myself into the ground because it'll be worth it one day. Yeah. Yeah, there uh, I guess some of the some of the things that I resonate with anyway with what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, it is hyper-masculine as well in a lot of ways. So Yeah. I mean, I'm guilty of feeling like working pretty hard because I feel like I don't have time. But yes, <laughs> it's a present thing, isn't it? We all are sort of like consumed by it. It's, that's why this is a great project because I try and you know get the people in the room talking when it's really hard to do so it's a big big challenge i could theoretically have things in here that could be solved in two straight days it might end up taking nine months maybe with the back and forth finding spotting people's calendars getting it all organized yeah that's the reality of how some of these projects uh, might work yeah but you know if I can at least halve that, that might be a good win. Or yeah. Something. Back to the question of bookmark at the start. Yeah. You've probably got a really good insight into what's happening in Melbourne, what's emerging in the, the cultures and subcultures that you've been part of over sort of four years or more now. Yeah. And I'm curious about, and it seems to be flowing naturally into the role that you're doing now, like you're maybe tapping into something that's emerging in Melbourne already and, and giving it maybe a little bit of shape or... Um, cultivating it but I'm interested to get your perspective on what you see emerging in Melbourne the characteristics of it and what excites you about it yeah and then contrasting that with some of the other cities that you were talking about as well the other cities that's right yeah yeah I mean it's funny right because when you're in the moment you don't quite realize I guess you know the uh and it hasn't been that long I I think I've probably been involved for from the uh, general assembly role probably just over two and a half years maybe getting close to three yeah okay. so it hasn't actually been that long but this is my life now like it feels like all i've ever known to a degree yeah but it's funny because that's not a very long amount of time but i distinctly remember a period there where there was a large amount of self-activation from numerous cities and this is before say the, the me too movement or anything like that which was simply that because melbourne meetups we love panel discussion right <laughs> so there was basically a directive that just don't have all male panels, right? Like, just don't do it. And a whole bunch of people stuck their hands up. And Con, the CEO from ASRC, sort of put that out there quite a while ago, actually, and just basically signed a panel pledge that would not be appearing on all male panels. Same as some others. Plenty of others to mention. I Just Con's the one that came to mind. Yeah. So that was sort of happening. Now it's just a reality. Like, it just probably gets torn down for something like that pretty quickly. And that might not be just the panel, it might be the amount of the weight or ratio of speakers appearing at your conference or whatever it may be. So, yeah, I've noticed that upon reflection, I guess, that yeah. it was sort of like at the start. And I definitely think we've sort of gotten a lot more work up until now. I mean, I don't really feel as many events say on getting women into digital or technology. It's more focused on specific female founders in a particular, in the creative technology realm or something like that. So it's veering into a sort of niche element and not just simply about how do we get women into tech? Yeah. Because I 
went to a few discussions and there's some ladies sitting on the panel and I remember one of them, which was at Future Assembly one time, she's just like, are we fucking having this same conversation again? Are you kidding me? <laughs> it's just like, not to disparage the moderator or the organisers, but she's like, this is so boring. Let's talk about, you know, let's go deeper on some other stuff in the future. We don't need to keep talking about um, getting more women into tech. Yeah. But I've sort of really enjoyed that. It's been given me um, good perspective, obviously, with a relatively new daughter, you know, huge respect for my wife as well. I really like seeing that and what, sort of envisioning a little bit about what the future will be like for my daughter yeah. in sort of uh, the technology realm in which she will inevitably be involved, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> but I've definitely seen another humorous one to me, I guess, is living within and literally hearing about it day in, day out about Bitcoin and blockchain and all that stuff. So I'm living in it at the moment. I am not a part of it at all. Yeah. It's somewhat bemusing to me. But I, I've observed when it sort of started rising to prominence and then all of a sudden it's exploded out into the general mainstream. So that's quite funny to me <laughs> as well. But look, I've been involved in things like Pause Fest and Startup Victoria Pitch Nights. I've sort of been emceeing those, running numerous other events. So I sometimes don't really realise that I'm sort of involved in discussions that people are very curious about because they're sort of dealing with emerging technologies or emerging themes. So it's really nice to reflect on it sometimes. But things like you spoke with Dr. Jason Fox, you know, so sort of pioneer at the forefront of, say, gamification or concept of the future of work, essentially. So yeah. he would have recognised, like, at that time what it was and now would probably laugh in bemusement about some of the ways that people take those terms and repurpose them now. Yeah. <laughs> what I have noticed, actually, I don't know what triggered this, I'm going to make it definitely a mission to get more involved with them, but the Victorian or Melbourne video game industry is incredible, but not just from the fact that they produce amazing stuff and they've got great support from Creative Victoria. I probably don't get all the war stories, so from the outside it seems quite good and rosy, even though I know quite a few people within there. But they're, what struck me about them and I don't mean to say them as in they're separated, but just predominantly people working within game development studios and in and around that environment. They have this like huge, huge care and love for each other and, and very, it's the second time I've said it, but very woke to societal issues. Things to do with transgender, LGBTIQ issues, obviously just general ethical practice in society. Yeah. I feel that based on how they operate on social media, people I know, the types of conversations they're having, some of the games that are being produced um, right here in Melbourne, that that speaks at a much higher level of maturity than what I would see a lot in the, you know, startup and tech realm sometimes. And that's really cool to see. And a lot of them are much younger than a lot of the people present in startup and tech realm, for instance. Yeah. So they're a great beacon, I think, for a lot of people. Again, for starting something, maybe it's purely about a project so utilising the skills you have on developing this game or this thing yeah. rather than, shit, I need to build an entire enterprise. Yeah. <laughs> but the video game industry is incredible and they come together towards the end of the year in October for Games Week. Okay. Just a great case study, I think, and something which has made me quite curious and I just like the way they operate. There's a, an actual co-working space predominantly for video games called The Arcade in South Melbourne. So 
it's great. They're mixed up in their own community within a community. Yeah, it's okay. incredible to see. Yeah. Um, so we've got a couple more questions for you, then we'll finish up. But I should have asked, how's the mints going? If we're talking about projects. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Like it's been going for two years now, wow. where we've kind of had gone through our first batch and we've got a, a whole, we've got 35,000 tins packed and uh, <laughs> ready to sell. And it's sort of like, yeah, I've been thinking about this over the past couple of weeks because sometimes I get quite worked up about it. And I, you know, I just feel like I, I really need this thing to succeed. Like I want it to succeed so badly and I'm, what else can I do to make it succeed? And yeah, I've come to the realization that it's sort of, I've put so much energy into it and I've done my best. Like I've, I've put as much as I can and it's, just now, it's outside of my control. Like, uh, there's other people in the team that I work with that um, it's their time to do their bit. Yep. And um, yep. they're doing their best and rely on how well they go and circumstances that are beyond our control. And it's been quite a burden off my shoulders to yeah, right. realize that and think like that and just kind of celebrate with myself the uh getting it to this point and being really happy about that being excited about what it could be but also yeah. um not being attached to it having to succeed if you like or yeah. you know succeeding i think it has succeeded in in my mind like it's been awesome to get at this point but to thrive i suppose you could say yeah uh, i'd love it to thrive because we've got so many ideas about what else we could do but it's kind of at this really interesting point right now where it's going to be just fascinating to see where it goes and uh, I don't know which way it's going to go. So, Like if you're saying it's released a burden, I mean, where is your thoughts then taking you to? Is it new projects? Is it how, the next phase of the Roy Minko yeah. brand? Or like how does it work in your mind, I guess? Yeah, I guess it's a bit of that. So there's a bit of kind of thinking, okay, if we can do this, then if we can get the mints selling, then we can create all this other stuff and that'd be amazing. But it's a little bit about what I was touching on earlier, actually. I think I've got, I guess, a, a purpose or a, a different understanding of what I really care about, what mm. I want to do. And that's what I'm, I'm calling organization as artwork or organization as, organization as art. And yeah. uh, I'm able to do this through some of the organizations I'm working with at the moment. So I'm consulting at a company called Estimate One at the moment and helping yeah. them create through as a product manager, but also helping shape the organization as well. So I want to create organizations where people are, they're looked after as their whole person. So yeah. they can bring their whole person to work and their whole person is actually cared for too. Where it's places where they don't have to compensate for being part of that organization, whether that's socially or spiritually or physically. You know, they don't have to go to the gym because being there, they're actually, the way it's designed, the way they're moving, they're well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah fully subscribe to that. Yeah, so my mind's kind of going there. And it's also, it's also the other shift that I've had recently is to rather than doing my best and letting go and also tapping into what's naturally emerging around me as well. So having a look at like what's happening in this moment that I might be blind to if I'm so focused on where I expect things or want things to be. Yeah. And there's just some really cool things happening right around me right now in my work at Cogent. And, and so, yeah, that's where my mind's going. It's kind of going back to the present, yeah. if you like, and releasing that burden. It's enabled me to okay, like, this is what I'm curious about. You know, I love this idea about organizations and emerging organization types. And I've got opportunities to actually express this. And I can express this through my consulting work and get better at it. And uh, maybe I can do it through organizations like Roy Mint Co. And maybe I'll get chances to create other organizations like that and incrementally get better at 
creating those type of places. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's what it's enabled me to think more about. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. A lot more perspective and reflection in as you venture out into the world. I like that. Like almost like a consciously taking in the environment like when you step into it like not just walking out of the elevator into a room like sort of that's what I've always enjoyed I've got a deep love for Melbourne roaming around and sort of taking in little facets of the various spaces that I walk into and it's not the ping pong or billiard table or whatever but it's almost sort of feel a vibe whether it's a co-working space or just something else that company sort of cultivated Finomofo is one because you know I was literally there last night but you can sort of you can just feel it. You feel the family vibe in there. But I could easily just quickly pass through there and be like, yeah, it's a cool office. Looks yeah. like the other one that I visited the other week, you know. But you can sort of recognise something deeper in there. Yeah. I like that. In your role, in your role now, like what's, when you think about when I leave this role, what might Melbourne be like? What, the future of this space in Melbourne, what sort of images and stories or what comes to your mind? What are you hoping to be part of bringing into being in this city? I mean, I want it to be, like, bigger. I mean, obviously, I have the directives of what Melbourne University or a city of Melbourne and RMIT would like to deliver on or yeah. work towards. I get all that. But I, I love the thought of developing something where you can... Yeah, have some sort of a lasting legacy. I hope that doesn't sound too arrogant. I'm more talking about the fact that this building is being produced. It's something like a 42-year project in terms of the agreement that's in place for when it launches in 2020. So if I reflect on 42 years after that fact, I'm getting towards I'm getting towards 80 and my time probably will have come already. So... For me, selfishly at the moment, working towards developing a building or a precinct that will basically, obviously it will exceed my lifespan. I just mean in terms of like the involvement for here being a 42-year project, it will, I'll die. (laughs) And and that contract will still be in existence. (laughs) But I think that what I'm pumped about, and I'm still just trying to work out exactly why that is, but I know why is that this is being developed on the, you know, the old Royal Women's Hospital side. Yeah. It's a um, huge heritage and people have a, an emotional reaction to hearing that for many thousands and thousands and thousands of people that were born there that are probably in the Gen X and above bracket. Yeah. So, yeah, developing a new sort of legacy for that space is a driving factor for me. But on top of all that are all these things that I've sort of observed and learned like really fast in my two and a half years, which is relatively decentralised community in many ways. Events being run sort of all over town, all sort of having like similar discussions. You know, what if they, you know, came together just a little bit more? Creative industry and startup and tech industry or whatever, not from what I can see actually gelling together too much. So I hope to play a part in bringing them together quite heavily. Particularly, if I explained it that I want to get more funding for research projects at Melbourne University, you'd say, yeah, yeah, that makes sense because we want the money being put into those projects because this is groundbreaking, innovative work. The first IVF embryo baby was born at, you know, the old Royal Women's Hospital. So innovation has been in existence there for a very, very long time and it's not a new sort of thing at this post-2010 stage of our lives. 
But what I like the thought of is, yeah, having this having this place as a bit of a beacon and, and doing some new things where, yeah, money comes in, but the flow-on effect with that is that then there's heightened interest in Melbourne and Australia, and then more opportunities open up and we can sort of grow exponentially in line to some small degree with like how China is exponentially growing and at scary levels of innovation that most of us probably can't comprehend because we're in our own sort of Western bubble, you know? Yeah. And that similarly in, you know, countries like India, they're progressing like very rapidly <laughs> and we're not as fast moving as what we think we are. Yeah. So I'd like to sort of turbocharge that and just basically see what we can do. And at the moment it's relatively undefined, but I think that latching onto a physical thing and with this added stimulation of bring science to the fore, let people know about science and spark their curiosity. Mm. I think that's going to result in some pretty profound things. Yeah. How do you feel when I say, ah, there's a science museum coming in? What do you think? Well, I didn't know what it might be like, but then when you started talking about blood, I'm like, wow, that sounds freaking amazing. And if they're doing exhibitions like that, then yeah, super cool. It's incredible. So it originated in Dublin. So there's Dublin, there's Detroit, us... London opening this year. Bangalore is on the horizon soon as well. And then some further ones to be announced. Yeah. So it's quite incredible being part of this node of this network, yeah. which is going to have some serious, serious, serious interest from industry, community, yeah. whatever. We were transfixed and continue to be by Science Works uh, throughout our time in Melbourne. Yeah. It's going to be very different to a new audience that are coming into this science gallery. And uh, it's an incredibly exciting time, I think. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I've got one more question for yeah, you. Go, go. And that's um, tying back, I guess, some of the things, well, some of the themes of this podcast, which is around subtle disruption, but something small that you've done in your own life, a small change or a small thing that you do on an ongoing basis that's had a really important or disproportionate large impact on the way you go about things? You know, when I just do what I normally do, which is like I start talking and then I sort of like, (laughs) and then it comes to me. But like the first thought that came to mind though, which is definitely relevant to it, is that I've just connected deeper with my wife and in turn, you know, with our like little family clique. You know, we have one daughter and we've just found out we've got a a son on the way. So it's really nice time. You've got two kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we look terrified of how to handle two kids. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I wasn't truly miserable in sort of my former life in corporate realm, but I've found on the flip side myself in truly happy territory as I progressed into just generally a field that I love that has a really, really strange sense of autonomy. There's a lot of freedom within sort of my role or a lot of other roles where it's okay to launching another event or whatever you don't have to ask anyone for permission to do anything you just you just go do it and not all that requires money to do so you just need a bit of bravery in some ways what i probably have learned about myself though is a large deflection of fear and i'm sure things like you know imposter syndrome and that have been raised in the past i mean you know i stepped into this industry felt like i didn't belong simply because you know, I hadn't been building startups and I hadn't been raising funds or anything like that. But I've learned a lot of what I would sort of need to know. And most of that has been based on human discussions and interactions 
connecting just like this in a park over a coffee, over a beer or 10. <laughs> you know, I've just learned over time. So now I, I wouldn't say it's unnecessary confidence the way I sort of approach things, but I just, I'm not phased by wondering about where my place in sort of the, the world or whatever it is. And because of that, I'm just more content and comfortable. But side note, I don't get to do this without the support of my wife, yeah. etc. So that that's all sort of tied in because yeah. she's really understanding. And we just basically, we have a really good arrangement, which is just, I look after my daughter in all the mornings as well as as much as I possibly can on the weekend to release her a little bit. And this job does mean that week to week I might be out for, you know, one night, maybe it's two nights, then on occasion it can literally be like the entire week at events or doing things. So there's a respect in there that I need to sort of make sure I'm always aware of. Yeah. And it's, it's been nice. I've gotten less selfish over time and more just thoughtful in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, Gary. So Thanks, good to be sitting here on this beautiful autumn Melbourne day. Thanks for getting us out in the park and sharing all about your story. You have to inject a sound effect there for our handshake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, Thank you're you. welcome. Hey, thanks for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with me, the best way to do that is through email to adam at subtledisruptors.com. Thank you so much to the people that do send me emails. I really appreciate the encouragement. I really appreciate the guests that you suggest as well. Many of them have turned into actual guests on this show. So if you do have any suggestions, please send them through. Something else you could do if you can find the time is to rate and review the podcast on iTunes or through other platforms that you might use. It's pretty easy to do through the app or your phone or on your laptop or computer. I hope you feel a little more encouraged, connected and resolute in your own quest to subtle disruption. And one day, I hope to hear about your subtle disruption as well. Bye for now. Bye.